Hey everyone, welcome back to Adherent Apologetics. As always, we're brought to you by you with your support on patreon.com slash adherent apologetics. Today I'm joined by Matt Trombley. He leads the men the men's ministry at Crossroads Community Church in his free time. And in this conversation, I'll be talking with Matt about the importance of grace. Matt gave a, a TED talk about the importance of grace, which I listened to and I was like, wow, Matt seems like a pretty cool guy and a smart guy all the way out from Colorado. So we're gonna talk about that today. Uh, Matt, welcome. How are you doing? Doing great. You know, makeup will make make you seem smarter than you are, I think, with that TED Talk. So uh, well, I, mean, I, I listened to it via podcast, so I, I didn't get to see your face at all. So oh, it wasn't the, the makeup audio work. for me. They, they must have put the Sean Connery accent on it, <laughs> make it sound sound better. So yeah, uh, thanks for having me here, Zach. Yeah, I'm really pumped to have you on Matt. Uh, just to start off, if in case people like don't know who you are, and if you're listening to the show, and you're more interested in like the philosophy and theology side, like Matt isn't really a philosopher, or a theologian professionally. Um, but I think it's important to have conversations like this. So could you talk a little about about like who you are and what you do in case people don't know who you are, Matt? Sure, sure. Well, I live in Denver. Um, I'm married, my wife, Mary and I, we've been married since 2001. Um, I think she's the best thing since the folded napkin. So I just want to get that out of the way. I don't care what any of you people think she's the best thing since the folded napkin. Um, but we have five beautiful children. Um, their ages are nine, 10, uh, let's see here, 11, 12 and 13. So it's a busy, loud, crazy house. And uh, so part of what I do is just get to be a dad um, to, to those guys and get to be a husband to my wife. And so um, that's that's what I do um, at home at work. I've worked for Wells Fargo for almost 22 years now. It'll be 22 years at the end of this month in November. Um, so I'm a working guy. I've got a regular job. And like most everybody else, I'm working from home. You can see the back of my office here in my basement. It's nothing special. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I do. I work in the customer remediation department. So when things break at Wells Fargo, we try and make sure we get it fixed. And so there's some inherent righteousness in doing that, I think. Um, and then like, like you mentioned, um, in my spare time, I serve as the men's ministry leader for my local church at Crossroads. And, um, also we have a little, uh, parachurch organization called El Doco that, uh, is a group of men's leaders that I'm a part of as well. So cool. I'm a big fan of the Denver Broncos. I love mountain biking. And uh, that's a little bit about me. Well, I'm a big fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers and that throw that Tim Tebow threw to, I think it was Demarius Thomas for like 85 yeah. yards is still ingrained into my head. As we should have a whole podcast about why God was with the Broncos that day, <laughs> theologically, like how that happened. Yeah, you know, but God generally, if you look at like Super Bowls, he's more with Steelers because we have six Super Bowls. <laughs> um, so maybe you, you got one, so. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so obviously, obviously you're not like in ministry full time. You, you gave this TED talk a little bit ago about like the power of grace. The link is below for anyone that's interested into it. So like, what got you into like this realm where you're giving like a TED talk on like the importance of grace as an evangelical Christian? I think it's just so interesting. Like, how did you get there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was through Wells Fargo. So if you think about it, most of corporate America, um, it's interesting that I got the opportunity through a giant company like Wells, but they partnered with Ted and they gave 13 of us a shot to be Ted speakers. Um, they had over a thousand applicants to apply from uh, uh, employees of Wells Fargo and they selected 13. So I was really fortunate to be selected. I was thankful to Wells for giving us the opportunity because, I mean, if you look at the whole series of Ted Talks, there was somebody there who talked about her disabilities with cochlear implants. There was somebody as a veteran talking about uh, suicide in the military. Um, there was somebody there talking about gender identity from 
uh, the Philippines. And so it was really across the spectrum in terms of uh, what, what we were able to share and what we were really passionate about. So um, that's how the TED Talk came about. And when I submitted my idea, it was really looking at what was going on in my company and looking at going on in the world and saying, boy, it just doesn't seem like we could have a civil conversation with each other. Mm. Um, and <laughs> this was uh, two years ago, almost, um, or a year and a half ago, I should say. Um, and so it's gotten it's gotten worse, right? <laughs> with yeah. the election, with COVID, this is pre-COVID. It's like it's it's only gotten worse. But back then, I was thinking, man, we just can't seem to have a civil conversation. And when mm-hmm. two people disagree, it seems like it just always ends in a battle. It ends in a war. Mm-hmm. And I just said, man, there's got to be a better way. And as a Christian, I knew I know there's a better way, but how can I put it in in a way that is um, accessible and available? Uh, to as many people as possible. And so that's really what the spirit of my TED Talk was, was to help people build bridges between between each other. Mm, yeah, I really enjoyed your TED Talk. I encourage everyone to listen to it. I remember listening to it. It was over the summer. And I just, it hit so at home with me. And like even more now, just thinking about just everything we're going through right now. As Christians, it's just, we need to be willing to give grace. Um, so I'd love for you to just kind of like unpack this idea of grace for just a little bit. Like what, first off, like what is grace and like, why as a Christian should we care about like grace? Well, if we didn't care about grace as Christian, as Christians, then we lose really what is the differentiator between Christianity and every other religion, Hmm. which is that in order for salvation to come through, uh, through what the Bible teaches, you have to receive it. And every other religion, you have to do something. You have to believe it. You have to do a certain thing or you have to be a certain person or you have to behave a certain way or you have to earn enough good points or good merits in order to achieve salvation or um, whatever it's defined in the different religions. So if we don't care about grace, nobody will, because outside of Christianity, I'm not sure grace is a core tenet of any religion. And I could be wrong. I'm, I'm talking to a theological channel. So you guys can say <laughs> great. But I really think as a core tenet of our faith, Grace is essential. And if we don't care about it, if we don't show the world what grace is, it's nearly impossible for them to know how to give it or how to receive it if we're not modeling the way. And there's and there's no way that we would know it if it wasn't for Jesus. And so from my perspective, it starts with relationships and it starts with us having enough grace to say, I'm willing to have a relationship with somebody who disagrees with everything that I believe in and who is willing to go to the mat for what they believe. And, and I'm willing to have that relationship, even though they may disagree with me, even though they may, I, I may not be able to convince them of anything. I'm willing to have that relationship. I'm willing to engage and, and be that way. And I think that's where grace starts. It doesn't start with, if you believe the way I do, then we can be friends. It starts with what it says in Romans, which is while we were still enemies, God died for us. Mm. Right. So I'm no theologian, but that's pretty powerful to me. Mm-hmm. And it says that, look, the grace of God didn't start when we agreed with him. The grace of God started even while we were enemies. So mm-hmm. I think that's the model of grace. That's the definition of grace that we have to role model to the rest of the world. Mm. Yeah, I think it's helpful to remember, like it, it came to mind, like Ephesians 2, it is for it is by grace you have been saved. Like this idea of grace is just, it goes all throughout the Bible. And I think that one of the most interesting things that you do in your TED Talk is like kind of towards the beginning, you come up with like this, you talk about this idea of labels and like you come out as like you're a white Christian evangelical, which in some places they're like, there's a lot of stereotypes that can kind of like come with that. And I think that like this idea of labels is something that is really 
interesting to think about and it's something we can do just subconsciously and really can cause an impact. So could you talk about like this idea of like labels and like how this relates to get grace and, you know, just unpack this a little bit for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think for me, um, where I start from, I, there was this, uh, this great movie called Lincoln mm. made by Steven Spielberg. And, and in the movie, uh, president Lincoln is talking with, uh, others about, are we going to give African-Americans a full share vote or not? Mm. Are they going to be a full citizen? Mm. And I don't know if Lincoln actually said this, but I was, I'll never forget. I was riding in an airplane, watching the movie on my iPad. And, and this quote came over and he said, look, the first rule of, um, uh, mechanical engineering is that two things that equal the same thing equal each other. Mm. And I thought that'll preach, right? Because when you go back to Genesis chapter one or Genesis chapter two, and you say, how did we come to be? You say, okay, God created man and he created woman. And so both man and woman, every man, every woman was created by God. And so if you want to talk labels, let's start there, right? Because two things that equal the same thing, meaning man and woman that were created by God, they equal each other. So if we want to talk labels, then we start there. If we want to keep going in our faith, then I think we should role model the labels that God uses. God didn't use the label of them. That was a That's a label that we have created as sinners in a fallen world to distinguish different tribes and different groups of people. God uses the label of us. And he says, look, there's no longer uh, um, uh, Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free, but we're all one in Christ. And so if we want to use labels, let's use those. Um, let's use the labels that God has given us. Let's not come up with ones on our own, because inevitably the ones we come up with are not going to be nearly as good as the one, ones God has come up with. Um, and I think if we're going to use a label, we have to be willing to use it on ourselves. So if we're going to call somebody a sinner, we have to turn around and say, like me, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you're a sinner like me. Um, you need grace like I do. Um, I need grace like you do. And so let's make sure that we're not using labels to distinguish between us and them, because in doing that, we create adversaries. We don't create disciples. Mm. Yeah, so many great points you bring up. Um, I'm thinking maybe we could talk about just kind of going like in terms of like negative labeling for a second, because I think this can happen uh, both ways. I think a lot of times now this idea of like being like an evangelical Christian or something along these lines, it seems like it can almost like carry baggage in a sense. Like people can have these like presumptions about, oh, you must hate these people or not like this just because, you know, this leader or something like that. Yeah. Um, and obviously I think as Christians, we can do that the other way where it's like, oh, if you're not a Christian, then you're this and you support this and da, 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 da. Um, so like when you look at like how we label people and kind of like how we can be viewed with labels in our everyday lives, like why, how do we just like avoid this more? And like, what are some of the dangers in labeling others and just, um, I know I threw a lot of information at you, but hopefully you can kind of track where my brain's going a little bit here. Well, I mean, so two, two points I'd bring up. First, Romans 7, right? I mean, the things that we want to do, we don't do. You quoted Ephesians 2. It says, by grace we're saved, not by works, lest that any man should boast. And what's the next verse? Verse 9. You've, you've been created in a new, you've been made into a new creation, right? Mm -hmm. But there's all these habits that we have, all these things that we've been taught to believe from yay high to a grasshopper that are true which is these people are different. These people are good. These people are bad. 
so on and so forth. Um, I'd ask us to consider Luke chapter 15, which is the story of the lost sheep. And I'd ask us to consider whether that story of the lost sheep is really about the sheep. Hmm. Because what the story starts with, if you read verses one and two, it starts with a reaction. Jesus is having dinner with a group of people and the Pharisees and scribes come up and they complain that he's having dinner with a bunch of sinners. They've created the label. They came up with a label of those people. Why are you having dinner with those people? And then Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Mm. You know, there's a person who had a hundred sheep. One went missing. He went and found the one. When he found the one, he came back through a party, called all his friends. In the same way, God rejoices when one sinner repents. What Jesus was trying to tell the Pharisees is you're coming up with these labels that set us set you apart from other people because of your pride, because of your arrogance, because you think in some way your label is going to put them lower on the totem pole than you. And that's going to make you better in God's eyes. Mm -hmm. But what he's saying is the father God's reaction to every sinner that you called bad and that you said wasn't even worthy for me to have dinner with is to rejoice. So I think when we start to use labels, the way to stop it is to say, am I adopting the heart of the father? Am I adopting the heart of Christ? Am I working out of my new person? Am I doing the things like in Romans seven, where Paul says, I don't want to do these, right? If I do these things, it's because the old self in me is at work, right? What's going to save me? Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's conclusion is. So I think when we start using labels that that's, that are not from God and there are things that separate us and make us look good or are negative in some way or don't honor the inherent nobility of the other person as a created member of the human race, then I don't think we're acting out of the new creation of Ephesians 2. I don't think I think we're grieving the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1. <laughs> mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I think we have to pause and stop and say, what are we doing and how why am I acting this way? And is it really, do I really have the heart of the father? Am I rejoicing if that person that I just labeled came to Christ or would I be, would I be uh, begrudging if they, if they came to Christ? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally tracking with you. I think it's really good. The point you bring up, I think when we look at people and realize like we're not really better than as Christians, we're not really better than the non-Christian. We're just forgiven. Um, we have the Holy spirit and then we're in the process of sanctification, but that, that, that person that maybe is not a believer, they're, they're still a person made in the image of God and uh, God wants them to come to repentance. And I think that's helpful. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and I'm sure you guys talk about this a lot, but um, Jesus said, look, no one comes to me unless they're called by the father. Mm-hmm. And you can probably go nine rounds with the theological ramifications <laughs> of that statement, right? Yeah. But I think when it comes to labeling, if we think about that, then I think we say, look, I didn't come to Jesus because I somehow was smarter than everybody else. I didn't mm-hmm. come to Jesus because I was so good that God recruited me. Mm-hmm. I came to Jesus because the Father called me, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I have no whatever idea. Whatever that means, I got to Jesus. And so the question is not, um, how do you then make sure everybody knows you're better or th- that knows you're a Christian? The question is, how do you help others recognize the call of the father to come to Jesus? Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and I think one thing I'd love to do is kind of like in reverse. I think, um, you know, we're both Christians and we're evangelicals. Um, we're Protestants. And I think a lot of times that can carry a little bit of like 
baggage almost where like i know like a lot of like the atheists i'll interact with like especially on the online that's like oh because you're just you hate women's rights because you have issues with like say abortion or um you support like trump no matter what and i'm not asking you to share your political i never talk about politics but it's just like some of the common like um like baggage that's often associated with us rather than just like being christians like as christians how can we overcome these like uh, labels that are can be put on us and like really work towards like sharing the gospel which is something that you bring up with grace is just such an important thing right i i think the most effective way we can do that is by having relationships with people mm. i mean standing up on a podium somewhere and and just trying to convince people from a podium isn't always the best way now mm -hmm. billy graham would argue with me that hey a lot <laughs> of people came to christ I think that's unique. I think that's special. And I think the Holy Spirit was certainly with Mr. Graham. What I would say is for most of us, we're called to make disciples through relationships. Mm -hmm. The question I would have is, are you engaged in relationships with people who don't agree with you? Not, mm -hmm. not necessarily just discussions, but relationships. Are you willing to pick up the phone and talk to the person who's online and say, look, I'd love to continue the discussion. How about we set some time up to talk? Are you willing to talk to that person in a relational way or is it going to be arms, arms length? Is it going to be, uh, no, 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 you, you stay in your corner. I'm going to stay in my corner and we're going to continue to play this kind of, uh, uh, table tennis game of point counterpoint, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And, and don't get me wrong. I love debating as much as the next person. And I've been in some of those chat rooms before, mm -hmm. but I think what I've come to realize is that Jesus approached people face to face. He approached people where they were. He approached people in a relational way. And so if we're going to share the gospel, if we're going to break down some of those things, then I think the first thing we have to do is say we have to have relationship relationship with others. Mm -hmm. The second thing I think we have to do is we have to approach others with more humility than maybe sometimes we're even cognizant of. I think what we have to recognize is that Christians have earned our stripes, meaning We've earned our reputation in a lot of ways um, through some of the things that we as Christians have done in the name of Christianity. I mean, if we went back just 60 years and looked at churches in the deep South who were Christians and how they treated people of the human race, okay. we went back hundreds of years and looked at the crusaders. If we looked at the, what Martin Luther railed against, right. Um, and said, look, uh, I can, if I'm wealthy enough, then I can pay off my sins. I mean, what were we doing? What were we thinking? You know, and that was all done in the name of Jesus Christ. So I think we have to approach others with a realization that there's a lot of things about us as Christians that they're going to think up front. And the only way that's going to get broken down is if they look at it, if they spend time with us and they realize, look, not everybody is that Christian. Not everybody is that person. And, and true Christianity, true religion is caring for widows. It's caring for orphans. It's caring for uh, you know, the, those that need it. There's a reason why, you know, in the Old Testament, God said, look, don't sow the corners of your field, leave it for strangers, leave it for the poor. You know, so what are we doing today? Are we sowing our whole field and keeping it all for ourselves? Or are we honoring God? Are we honoring the principles that he set forth? So from my perspective, the best way to do that is in relationship. Yeah, I think relationship can open the door to just like 
a deeper level of understanding. I think about maybe like the Muslims I know or the atheists I know in person. It's just when I understand them and how they think it helps me just realize like the person online or the person I don't know personally, it just makes me think about how I interact with them on just a whole different level. Knowing behind every person online is an actual person, assuming they're not like bots or anything. Um, <laughs> well, well, and I think it's helpful to, to just to talk about them as, as, as people and to say, okay, this is my friend, Zach. This mm -hmm. isn't my Muslim friend, Zach. This mm -hmm. is my friend, Zach. Right. Yeah. And, and to say, look, you know, cause if two things equal the same thing, they equal each other. So if, if we want to have that same honor and nobility, then let's give it as well. And mm -hmm. in, in such a way as have, have humility when you approach that person. And I'll, and I'll tell you, you brought up uh, political cause not, it's no big deal these days, right? No, 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 never. John Piper had uh, a great article before the election about his political views about Trump and Biden and things like that. And you can read it. And, and Piper's a great theologian. I love Piper. Mm -hmm. The most amazing thing about his article was not what Piper said. The most amazing, amazing thing about this article was that some, another theologian responded to John. And he sent, before he actually published his response in disagreement to John, this theologian sent his response to John Piper. Not only did John Piper said, say, yes, this is what I meant. You've, you've captured what I've said correctly. But here are some ways you can strengthen your argument. Hmm. Right? That's, that's relationship. That's, that's the ability to, to love a brother or sister, to love somebody else of the human race, and not have to agree with everything they say or do, not have to agree with their voting record, not have to agree with their theology, right? And there's some core things we have to believe, right? Like Jesus is God, right? We have to believe in the Trinity. We have to believe that Jesus is still alive. Like there's some of those things, but, but what a great picture of graceful relationship when two people who disagree, who come to wildly different conclusions in a very polarized political environment can show us what it means to engage each other in that relationship. So. Um, I just thought that was a great example I throw out because mm -hmm. this is an apologetics podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, Piper is. <laughs> it's great. To, it's great to bring it up. Um, I believe it's Wayne Grudem who responded to John Piper. And one thing I do, I think, is so interesting here. Um, lost my train of thought for a second, but I got it back now. Is there, there's a philosopher um, by the name of Joshua Rasmussen. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with who he is or not, uh, but he's a, he's a Christian. Okay, he's a Christian philosopher, and he's one of the smartest, but also one of the nicest people uh, on the planet, I would say. Um, if you could like score like an index of like, you get points for smart and points for nice. Josh is, Josh is way up there. Um, and he approaches every conversation he has, whether it's a skeptic or another Christian or a different religion is just like, we're seeking truth. Like, mm -hmm. and I think you and I, Matt, and everyone listening can agree, like whether it's like our politics or our religious like beliefs or things like that, like at the end of the day, we're searching for truth. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not really us versus the other person, or it shouldn't be us versus the other person. It should be right. us working together to discover the truth about this world that we find ourselves stuck in. Yeah, well said. I think I think when, and I talk about this in the TED Talk, that when we believe that we have to agree with somebody in order to be in love with them or to love them, or if we disagree with them, it must mean we hate them, right? Mm -hmm. Then then all of a sudden, it's a, it's a win-lose proposition. And if you're going to be in that kind of a proposition all the time, you always have to have an enemy. And so then everybody becomes a target. Everybody becomes an enemy. And you get to a place where you start treating people as if you're in a war when you're really not. Mm. And that's, that's just horrific to think about because as Christians, 
we really have nothing to be afraid of. I mean, really, I mean, there's nothing we need to, to be afraid of, of anybody's argument or what they could do to us, any level of persecution. There's really all those fears have been taken away. So, so when somebody approaches us or when we approach them, we have everything, uh, there's nothing that we can lose, even if that relationship ends in a wound, even that relationship ends in suffering on our part, because first Peter talks about, hey, you're called to suffer just as mm -hmm. Jesus did, right? And so I just encourage all of us to say, let's have these relationships, let's be courageous with them and not, as you said, treat each other as adversaries. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, one thing that you brought up in the TED Talk that I think is so important that fits really well into this idea of like relationships is just finding common ground. Mm -hmm. I think it can be very hard, maybe if you're looking at someone across the aisle um, in terms of like maybe just all of your beliefs to like find something in common. But like if you were to give advice on like, how do we find common ground with people we disagree with? Because it's such an important thing. Like how do we look at doing that and why is it so important? Yeah, because it's the foundation. I mean, you, when you start with common ground, when you start when you when you start with something that you have in common, then your whole approach starts to change. Because if if we say, okay, I'm on elevated ground, I'm in a different position, I'm in a superior position, just no normatively, we're going to start treating the other person as an inferior, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to start treating them as well, you're you're ignorant or you don't know what you're talking about or or so on and so forth. And the other way, too, we've all probably felt that way where somebody's talking to us. I know I have because I'm not super smart guy like like Rasmussen. Um, I'm just a regular, I don't know. You're pretty smart, man. I, I got to say. Regular, hey, I'm just a regular dude, you know, <laughs> raising a family here. Um, but but I, it, we, we certainly had those experiences where people talk down to us. It doesn't feel great. Right. And, mm -hmm. and some of Jesus's harshest words were on people not who treated others with equality and with grace and with mercy, but who treated people just the opposite. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that the Pharisees didn't know the rule. It wasn't that they didn't follow God. It wasn't that they didn't follow the rules. It's that they treated everybody else like garbage. Mm -hmm. And so when we don't start with common ground, we really have a really high risk of treating people like that. And mm -hmm. so for me, that just means, look, whatever you believe, Whatever your convictions are, even if you're a Christian who comes to a, a wildly different belief structure than I do, um, or a wildly different conclusion about uh, gender identity or the divinity of Jesus or, or, or things like that, we're still two humans created in the image of God. And so if I've got nothing else in common with you, I've got that. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you start with that, then it allows you to build a relationship that's based on honesty, that's based on trust. It's based on mutual respect and and you can listen and they can listen in ways that you don't always get when you start from an adversarial position. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm totally tracking with you. Uh, something that just came to mind as you were talking is I, uh, a few years ago with my family, we took a trip. Obviously, I'm from Pennsylvania, in case you guys listening don't know. And we took a trip and we drove all the way down to Florida and we were just driving and we stopped from place to place. And I remember my dad, um, who loves conversations and talking with random people, just the way he was able to find common ground with just about everyone on the trip and it's mm -hmm. it's interesting like it could seem like the person so far apart from you maybe in your beliefs like they're so different and there's nothing you have in common but it's amazing like it's humans actually how much we share um mm -hmm. for me like sports is a big one i connect with like i love soccer so connect with the europeans that way and all yeah. kinds of stuff but it's amazing how many things that they actually we do have in common you're talking about starting with, like the fundamental idea of us all being made in the image of god
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think when you think about um, the the festivals of the Old Testament, just as an example, right? Every mm -hmm. single festival that God ordained, He said, you know, like Festival of Booths, for example, said, "Come do this, so that you remember you once were homeless, mm -hmm. that you once were in a tent." Right. And in the New Testament, it's the same thing. Don't forget, you once were apart from God. You mm -hmm. once were enemies for God. And now you have been brought close. Right. Mm -hmm. So so you look at this and you say, look, there's immense common ground in the Bible to be found. And honestly, I would have a difficult time loving my neighbor as myself if I didn't have common ground with my neighbor. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, you know, it, that's it's just fundamental to the greatest commandment, in my opinion. Um mm -hmm. And, and even, so a great example, uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, in uh, the 19, early 1900s, president of the United States, um, when he would have a foreign dignitary come in, he would actually stay up the night before reading books, um, like six, seven, eight books on whatever topic the other person was passionate about. Mm. So that he could have something to talk to him about. Because he recognized, even though he wasn't trying to win them for Christ, he recognized, look, if I'm gonna influence this person, then we have to have some things to talk about that aren't necessarily about the things that I want to influence them on, but mm -hmm. that bring us into some common ground and into some commonality. Yes. So if you ever come to Colorado, talk to me about mountain bikes. We'll go all day. <laughs> I have to say, I know like just about nothing um, in terms of mountain biking. So we'll, we'll get you started. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing um, as we keep going, I want to say we will open up to Q and A. If there's anyone that has questions at the end, we'll open up. Uh, but for now, we'll keep going. Uh, one thing that you brought up in your talk that was so interesting was the example of like dealing with like gender fluidity and like looking at at that through, like a Christian lens. Like, could you give a couple of comments on like what that's all about? Because I thought I found it to be a really powerful example um, as you kind of walk through it on your TED talk. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm no expert. I mean, so so I don't mean to represent. The opposite point of view on on gender identity, gender fluidity, things like that. But one of the things that was interesting is about a year and a half ago, there was there was a lot of conversation about personal pronouns and which one you want to use, whether it's um, he or her or or um, even some of the ones that start with Z um, or or I don't I don't identify right. Mm -hmm. and, and so as Christians, the question isn't okay. Is that person? Um, not like me, the question is, is let's find out why they, why they identify the way they did, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we can't have a relationship. And I think sometimes as Christians, we think if somebody doesn't believe the way I do, then they're an enemy or mm -hmm. they, there's somebody who needs to be convinced differently. And I don't believe that. I don't subscribe to that. I think that if you have a relationship with somebody who doesn't agree with you, that's okay. <laughs> you're not, they're like, they're, you're not uh, uh, being treacherous to your faith. And, and vice versa, if they have a relationship with me, I don't believe that's being treacherous to what they believe. I believe that people can have relationships with each other and not have to agree. And that's mm -hmm. the fundamental, that was a big, the biggest part of my passion for doing the TED Talk on the topic I did was to break down this wall of saying, we can't be friends unless we completely agree with each other. And, and whether you wanna pick religion, whether you wanna pick gender, whether you wanna pick politics, I mean, just look at all the examples of people who voted one way or the other. And now it's like my family won't talk to me. Mm. Right? And I mean, pick your side. Right. And it seems like everybody's upset these days about whatever happened in the election. But as Christians, we have a unity. We have an identity that supersedes all of that. Mm. And, and and if we play the game of teams, this team sport in the world like this, 
then we're really lowering the bar of what we could give the world. Mm. You know, so a, a challenging question I've thought of is, okay, if if the church disappeared tomorrow, what would the world miss? Mm. Like, what would they say, man, those guys are gone. They were really good at serving the poor. They were really good at unity. They taught us all how to be more unified. Even though they didn't agree with me, they loved me in passion. Wow, they taught us how to suffer for something greater than themselves. Oh, wow, they took care of the orphans in a major way. We miss them. I can't believe they're gone. And and so I think if you think about that, then I think you say, look, let, let's let's play let's play major league ball here. Right? Yeah, let's love our neighbors. Let's let's have relationships with people that disagree with us. What do we have to lose? Because when we when we when we stiff arm people, when we say, "Look, because you disagree with me, we can't be friends," then I think we turn our back on the essence of the gospel, which mm. is while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Mm. And I think we, in some ways, grieve the Holy Spirit. In some ways, we do a re- we're really poor ambassadors of Christ and His love when we do that. And it mm. doesn't mean that I have to agree with you, but I'm not commanded to agree with you. I'm commanded to love you as I love myself. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally tracking. That's so good. I just want to repeat a couple of the things you said because it's so good. Your question, what would the world miss if the church is gone? I think that's a really good question for us to just consider as Christians and members of churches, hopefully, and looking at that. And one thing I'm going to repeat again is just this idea of looking back because I think it's so easy um, as a Christian just to look at uh, just like almost at pride at ourselves. Like, Hey, I don't do this or I don't do that. And I'm doing good and I'm not sinning as much as I was. Um, but just kind of look back at our past and like before we knew Christ, just how lost all of us really were. And just remembering that and like, we have Christ, but we're that same, we're a new creation, but we can look back and that's still, that's still me back there before as a Christian. That was still Matt before uh, Matt was a Christian. I think that's so helpful to just think about. And as we look at this, like relationality and stuff. Yeah. No, I, I think that's one of my favorite things to do when I'm having a hard heart towards somebody, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's out on the in, in uh, you know, the road, if somebody cuts me off, mm-hmm. if I'm just struggling with it more than usual, then it's helpful for me to re- reflect on my salvation story. Mm-hmm. Say, How did I come to know Christ? Right. Who 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 led me by the hand? Right. Mm-hmm. Who, who do I know prayed for my salvation? I, I came to Christ because my girlfriend told me, hey, this is how you don't go to hell. Mm. Like, that's it. That's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a simple guy, right? It wasn't, it wasn't complicated. Um, but her mom had been praying for me on her knees every day since we started dating, right? Mm. So when I think about that and I think about, okay, what, what did I have to be forgiven of? Who needed to pray for me? Who had to teach me? Then I think it, like you said, it puts us in the place of saying, okay, I'm just a sinner that was called by God and somebody taught me what that voice was. How can I, how can I be the same thing for somebody else? You know? Yeah. A couple more things I want to bring up here as we start to head towards the end here uh, that we do have some time left. Uh, Why is forgiveness so important? I think we're talking about like grace and common ground. Uh, but this idea of forgiveness is so important because like, first off, we're forgiven sinners by the grace of God. Um, but like, I think in our in lives, we can so easily forget like the idea of forgiveness. So like, why do you, why as Christians, why do we see forgiveness? It's like, why should we see forgiveness as such an important thing in our, in our lives? Well, I mean, again, I'm a simple guy. <laughs> he just told us to do it. 
right? <laughs> yep. said, forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgive as the Father forgave you. So if I don't forgive others, then then I'm sinning, right? And then I need to be forgiven again. So in, in, in very basic terms, God commanded us to forgive. So mm. to not do so is to not do what God told us to do. Full stop. Mm. The other thing I would say is it gives others who experience our forgiveness the opportunity to experience something they may have never experienced before in their lifetime. And it's very difficult for somebody who's never been forgiven, who's never experienced grace, who's never ex who, who has never experienced love to to manufacture that in themselves towards somebody else. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's incredibly difficult for them to do that. But when they are shown, when they experience it and, and they experience it in the way that is close to what Christ did for us, then they know what that looks like, that know what that feels like. So we carry an awesome responsibility of those who have been forgiven. And he says, our eternity is secure. Our identity is secure. What do we have to lose by forgiving somebody else? I mean, what do we have mm -hmm. to lose? And mm -hmm. Corey Ten Boone is a great example. Um, there are others like in the movie and the book Unbroken, um, where he forgave his captor. Um, you know, I just think there's ways that we can help others experience something that they may never have experienced before in their life. And we can lead them there and give them just a beautiful experience. And maybe they don't come to Christ right then. And that's OK, because that's not the goal of forgiveness. But they then have a picture of what God's love is like from us. And, and that's pretty cool that we could give somebody that gift. Hmm. Yeah, forgiveness is such an important thing. Uh, one thing I want to kind of bring up here that may be like kind of like a counterpoint to everything we've been talking about uh, regarding like grace and forgiveness and common ground is, you know, at, at times Jesus, you know, he, he turned the temple tables um, when things went down the wrong way at the temple. So like we have this call as Christians to have grace, to have to be meek, to find uh, common ground, things like that. But then how do we balance that with like standing up at a time? Uh, I have a class I'm taking and my professor has been talking through like the revolutionary war and stuff. And like, when, when do we stand up? When do we fight for what we believe in? Even if it's may not be the most uh, graceful thing to do in a sense, like how do we find that balance between like just being graceful and forgiving and loving with like being willing to stand up like on hills we should be willing to die on? Like, how do we find that balance? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, so a couple things. One is, um, as, as theologians, as apologetics on this call, I'm sure you've looked up Matthew 5, 5 and said, does meek really mean that you just let people beat you up all day long? Mm -hmm. And the answer is no, that's not what the Greek word means, right? That's not when it, when Jesus said he was meek and lowly of spirit, that's not what he meant. What he meant was closer to Philippians 2, which said, mm -hmm. though he was God, he emptied himself, right? So he used his strength, not as a power to lord it over others, but he used his strength under control and he did the will of the Lord. Um, and so, the, you know, when you look at that scene in the temple, it wasn't because he was personally offended. Mm. I mean, what he was cat, like where these guys set up shop was in the temple, but it was actually in the court of the Gentiles, which was the largest area of the temple. So when you think about that and you say, okay, well, why did God make the largest area of his temple, the court of the Gentiles? It was so others could come to know him because Israel was supposed to be his ambassador. And if the presence of God was in Israel, well, yes, there's a special place for the people of Israel. But 
this there's this huge space where people could come and get to know God and worship God. And so, I, you know, if we're going to get angry, let's start at home. What are we doing in churches? What are we doing in our clubs that is turning people away? That's putting barriers in front of them to get to know our creator, our savior, mm-hmm. our Jesus. So if, if we're going to get angry, if we're going to make a stand, let's start at home. Let's start in our backyard and say, is there anything we're doing that is holding somebody back from meeting Jesus? Mm. And I think we've got to start there first. And, and only when we know, look, we're perfect, should we start thinking about getting angry at anybody else. Mm. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean we don't care about widows. It doesn't mean we don't care about the orphans. It doesn't mean we don't care about babies or the unborn or things like that. Those are all righteous things to care about. All I'm saying is when we when we throw out what Jesus did in the temple, let's make sure it's in the right context of he was upset because people were putting up barrier between him and them getting to know him. So let's mm-hmm. make sure we're not doing the same thing before we start thinking about other people. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I would say, the other point I would say is, you know, we live in a really polarizing time. It's really easy to pick a battle and say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to champion this battle. This is where I'm going to make my stand. This is where I'm going to live and die, you know, anything else. And, and um, you know, David Platt had a great interview with um, a media outlet a few weeks before the election. And he talked a little bit about this. So I'd encourage everybody to kind of watch that. If you haven't watched that podcast, it was great. And you might know David because you live in, you know, close to close to D.C. I do not, unfortunately, but I know who he is. Um, okay. great pastor. I, I don't have his trading card. You know, I'd like to. <laughs> oh, that's about um, No, but but, you know, one of the one of the stories that's been close to my heart recently has been from Joshua chapter five. In Joshua chapter five, as, as we know, Joshua was leading the people towards Jericho. And all of a sudden, there's a man that shows up next to him with his sword drawn. And Joshua asks a very reasonable question. He says, look, are you for us or are you against us? And the man responded and said, no. Hmm. And I'm sure Joshua was confused because that wasn't one of the options he gave him, right? He said, are you for us or against us? Because I'm an invading, I'm an invader with an invading army. I've been chosen by God. I'm on God's mission with God's people. Are you with us or not? And the man said, no. He said, I'm the commander of the Lord's armies. And in so many words, he said, take off your sandals. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. And Joshua worshiped him. And we know from the text that this was the pre-incarnate Christ. Because no angel would accept worship. No angel can make the ground holy. And what Joshua figured out really quickly was the most important question he had to answer wasn't whether God was on his side or not. And that's sometimes how we think about it, right? Is God on my side? Is God with the Republicans or is God with the Democrats? Mm -hmm. Is God with this team or that team? Hey, we're really passionate about this. God, will you be with us, right? The most important question Joshua had to understand was or answer was, am I with God or not? Am I on God's team or not? And so before we we say, okay, we're going to start getting angry, before we say we're going to start doing these things and taking our stand, I think we have to answer the question that Joshua had to answer. Say, are we with us? Are we trying to recruit God to our team? And are we doing things in the name like the Crusaders did of Christ that Christ never commanded? Hmm. Or are we with God? And are we humble enough to say, I worship you and say what Joshua said, which was, what does my Lord command of thy servant? And if we ask that question, Sometimes we might still feel that anger, 
But I think in a lot of ways, God's spirit might move us in different in different ways with different passions and different ways to do it. And so I would just encourage us, meekness is strength under control, but it's also making sure you're with God. You're not trying to recruit God to something that you're very passionate about. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's so well put. Uh, one last thing I want to bring at you, and I saw a few questions. We'll answer any questions you have on the way out, um, is we live in very polarizing times, as you said. Um, so for someone that's maybe listening to this and wondering like, well, how does this idea of like race and common ground and like, what does that look like for me tomorrow as I go to work, whether it's like in person or zoom, depending on where you are, obviously, like, what does this look like tomorrow in terms of like finding grace and common ground and just living in polarizing times as we are today? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, like Joshua's story tells us and teaches us, don't play the game that everybody else has played right? Don't, don't take the trap, right? If you're a Star Wars fan, there's a famous line that says, it's a trap, right? <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> it's a trap. Be with God. Number one, be with God. And then follow the advice that God gives us in first Peter chapter two, which says, keep your behavior so excellent among the Gentiles that as they observe your behavior, not as you argue them into submission, but as they observe your behavior, they will rejoice when Jesus comes back. Mm. And, and I thought about that recently and I said, wait, 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 wait. Who are the people that are going to be excited when Jesus returns? The, the only people are going to be the believers. Mm -hmm. People who reject him are going to be terrified. People who didn't know about him are going to be really confused as the guy coming through the clouds. <laughs> but what the, what the text teaches us, though, is the bar is not, did I follow the law? The bar is not, did I get a promotion at work? The bar is not, did I follow all the rules or did I not get arrested or did I not have an affair or did I not look at pornography? That's not the bar. The mm -hmm. bar is, was my behavior so good, so excellent that just by looking at how I live, people come to know Christ because that's the only way they're going to be rejoicing when God comes back. And what Peter says is keep your behavior so excellent that they are rejoicing when Jesus returns, that they look at your life, that they look at your behavior, they look at the way you live and you're open enough with them in relationship so they can see everything that's going on. And they say that faith is real. You know, nobody gives him a, anything, right? Everybody mm -hmm. kind of picks on him. Everybody kind of makes fun of his faith, but he keeps worshiping. He keeps loving his wife. Mm -hmm. Look at the honor he gives his wife. Look at the honor he gives his children. Look at what he does. I want some of that because that's real faith right there. So tell me more about that. That's the kind of real McCoy lifestyle that I think if we embodied more, I think more people would find very attractive. Mm. Yeah, so well put. Um, once again, it seems like you should like do a TED talk on this or something sometime. Uh, <laughs> we'll go to a little bit of Q&A here. There's a couple questions. If there's anything else, we'll probably be able to fit it in. Um, from Spartan Theology first, uh, he says, how does Luther's idea of, simul of simultaneously being righteous and being a sinner play into what Matt is saying? And I believe if I'm explaining Luther correctly, that'd be the idea that in God's eyes, in a sense, we are fully sanctified and he sees us as like righteous being in Christ. But at the same time, we are still in this life and sinners who are, are still sinning. I believe that's what he's, Luther's idea is here. Okay. Um, and so the, I guess is the question, how do we balance those? I think it's, yeah, like that. And just like, how does this play into like your general thesis about what's going on here? Um, yeah. Understanding those two things. 
Well, so, so what's interesting is, I, you know, I've been studying First Peter a lot, so you'll hear me quote it a couple of times. But in First Peter chapter one, it says, be holy for I am holy. That's First Peter chapter one, something or other, 18 or, or something like that. Um, what's interesting is the verb be holy is not it is, is passive, right? It's a recognition of who you already are in Christ. Mm. And it's not go do stuff to be holy because I'm holy. It's be different because you are different, right? And, and Peter's point is, look, if God's people are going to act like God's people, they have to know they are God's people. And they're not God's people because they earned it. They're God's people because he chose them. And we're not holy and righteous because of anything we did, but because of something God did. So I think if we look at Luther's theology, which I'm not an expert in, mm-hmm. um, but if we look at this idea of I'm righteous, but I'm also a sinner, there's great humility that comes with, I'm only righteous because of what Christ did. That the success I'm enjoying is only because of the great sacrifice that someone paid for me. And so as I think about that, I say, okay, well then what am I willing to sacrifice for somebody else to experience that kind of love? Am I willing to be insulted? Am I willing to not be heard? Am I willing to be wrong? Am I willing to be wounded? Am I willing to suffer for the cause of Christ so that somebody else can experience being called holy like I have? Not because of anything I did, but because what I was given and what I received. And again, that's where I come back to the idea of grace. Grace can only be received. It can't be earned. But there's a lot of people in this world who have never had the opportunity, even in an earthly way, receive grace. So if we can show them, look, this is how grace has transformed me. It's made me righteous, but I know I'm humble because I'm still a sinner. Wow, what a testimony to tell somebody in real life. This is how my life has changed. This is how my heart has changed. And now watch my life. I dare you. And I dare you to watch me and see if you can be convinced as well. Mm. Thank you. Uh, another question here from the Reverend now, Nick Quint. Um, he says, um, what does Matt think about John Barclay's thesis concerning grace? I don't know if you're familiar. I'm actually not familiar with John Barclay's work here. I was just looking it up here for a second. Are you familiar with John's work, um, John Barclay's work regarding oh, grace? Sorry, I haven't made it to him yet. <laughs> There are a lot of like theologians out there, so it is kind of hard. Hey, I love theologians. I'm a simple guy, and I go through working through the Bible. I'm like, what the heck does this mean? I go look at my concordance, and there's people who have been thinking about this for days. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you that God made you the way that you are. Um, <laughs> I think it was Jordan Peterson who actually was amazed by like the website Bible Hub and just like how you can find for each verse in the Bible just just so much commentary. It's amazing how much there is. Yeah, I, I try to stall time to figure out what's going on here. Yeah, well, you know, Nick, if you want to send me your question, if you can explain it to me, I'd be happy to give you my thoughts. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what John Barclay's thesis is, though. Yeah, um, I do know, from what I understand, he holds to somewhere around the new uh, new perspective on Paul, I think. Um, uh, it says, I'm just reading here, it says, um, John Barclay led, lets his readers through a recontextualized analysis of grace and interrogated Paul's, Paul's original meaning in declaring it a free gift from God, revealing grace is a multifaceted concept that is socially and radically unconditioned, even if it's not unconditional. Uh, his book, Paul and the Power of Grace, offers all the most significant contributions. Um, yeah, so I think it's just seeing grace is a little bit more than just the free gift, maybe. I'm not completely sure what's going on here, Nick. Uh, unfortunately, we all can't be New Testament theologians like yourself, Nick. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, one of the most amazing passages to me about grace that talks about like the unconditionality of it mm-hmm. and the scandalousness of it. Um, 
and is is Romans chapter six. You know, the end of verse five or chapter five talks about you know where where grace abounds or where sin abounds, grace superabounds. That's kind of what the Greek says, right? It just it just keeps outrunning. There's no much. There's no amount of sin you can do that's gonna that's coming at you, right? I mean, that's the way I think about it. Um, and then verse six says, "Well, should you just go on sinning so you can keep getting more grace? By no means, right?" Mm-hmm. But if we stop and we think about it for a second, the scandalousness of grace from God's perspective is that's exactly what we could do. Mm-hmm. And the heartbreaking thing is that sometimes that is what we do. And you know, sometimes we can use other examples to maybe feel the heartbeat of God um, and, and, and how he feels and what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, so let's say I, I told you about my wife, right? She's five foot three, brown hair, brown eyes, best thing since the folded napkin, right? <laughs> she Imagine for a second if, if I was having an affair with another woman and imagine for a second that she found out about it. And then imagine that I found out that she knew, but that I kept doing it. I kept having this affair. But I said, you know what? You know what, Mary? Um, I'll do the dishes. You know what, Mary? I'll, I'll buy you a new car, the best one, the one with the reclining seats and the headrests, you know, and comes with a big red bow on it for Chris. I mean, I'll buy you that, right? And you know what? I'll build you a beautiful house. It has all the trappings, like heated floors in the bathroom, the whole nine, right? The whole nine. Do you think she would feel loved when I said I love you? The answer is obviously no. Mm -hmm. But how often do we think, well, if we just build God a big house, if we just give him a lot of our money, if we just tell him we love him, that he'll believe us. I think sometimes God says, I really don't believe you. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe you. You grieve me because you've accepted my free gift of grace. And and then you've decided you're just going to do whatever you want. And I know we're a lot of Christians on this on this YouTube channel. So I say this with all the love of my heart and as someone who is a sinner and who has done exactly this. But stop. (laughs) Stop. And let's not take advantage of God's grace. But I would agree with John Barclay, if I understand his theory correctly, it is scandalous. It's completely unconditional. We could take it and do whatever we want with it. And God knew that when he died on the cross. God knew that when he sacrificed himself. So he's willing to endure being grieved for the rest of our lives just to spend eternity with us, just Mm -hmm. to show us how much he loves us. So. I just encourage us to meditate on that <laughs> because it, it, it's, it's something that is, is a humbling thought. Mm, for sure. For sure. Um, well, I want to say thank you, Matt, for your time. There's so much that you, you brought for us today. It's just so much great stuff to think about and chew on. Is there any like last thoughts you want to give before we wrap things up, things you missed or anything like that before we start to head out? You know, just, just want to thank you, Zach, and thank thank everybody who's on this call. Uh, there is a lot of work being done for the kingdom. I, I would say be capital K kingdom-minded, be capital C church-minded. Um, you guys are brothers from different mothers, and, you know, even though we may baptize people, we're all using water, right? Uh, we may baptize each other differently. So uh, just be capital C-focused, and um, I'm, a vi- I'm out there on LinkedIn uh, is, is the primary way you can get in touch with me. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I'd love to hear the thoughts on the TED talk, or if there's a conversation that we can start, feel free to reach out. Yeah. Well, thank you, Matt, uh, so much for your time. You can go connect with Matt on LinkedIn, I guess. Um, but I just want to say thank you again, Matt. If you're new to here in apologetics, I'd encourage you to subscribe. You can leave a like if you're on YouTube or leave a review. If you're here via podcast, always appreciate that. Uh, once again, thank you to all of our supporters who make shows like this possible. If you enjoy the show, you can support the show on patreon.com slash here in apologetics, one, two, three, five dollars a month, whatever you can do really helpful about 80, 85% funded. Thank you everyone for that. Um, and once again, Matt, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated this conversation.